0: Thank you, and once again, a very good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. This is our 63rd lesson, or 63rd uh, broadcast of 30 minutes, dealing with the great subjects of the Bible, the doctrinal content of the Word of God. These doctrinal broadcasts deal with doctrine because, after all, the first and primary purpose for the writing of the Scripture by the Holy Spirit was for doctrinal purposes. I realize, of course, and you realize, I'm sure, that we're living in the last days before the rapture, in which the body of Christ will not endure sound doctrine. And to reinforce their false doctrines, they have invented and uh, devised 54 translations of the Bible, each one designed to back up a peculiar teaching by the particular group. We call these people the Alexandrian cult, as all the new Bibles come from Alexandria North Africa. And we've talked about this considerable, uh, at considerable length in our previous broadcast that dealt with the subject of the authority and inspiration of the Word of God. Uh, the 63rd broadcast we're engaged in today deals with uh, the creation story. And of course, when we say the creation story, we mean the only scientific uh, account of the creation in print. The only scientific textbook on the creation, of course, is the Holy Bible. And uh, we may uh, be entertained and amused at times by the futile attempts of people like uh, uh, Houghton and uh, Bryce and Darwin and Haeckel and Huxley and Lyle and Paley and other deluded souls as they try to uh, conjure up uh, scientific conjectures and theories about the creation but there's only one scientific textbook in print that deals with creation and that'll be the King James 1611 authorized version it won't be the Living Bible if the Living Bible doesn't start Genesis 1-1 with the Hebrew phrase or the English phrase but uh, goes by the evolutionary conjecture making it a participle instead of what it is now as I said before, we're dealing with primarily with doctrine, these broadcasts, because all scriptures give the inspiration of God, and is profitable, first of all, for doctrine. After all, the main purpose in the writing of the Bible by God the Holy Spirit was to clearly draw the line between what is so and what is not so. As the Antichrist prepares his kingdom to the ecumenical movement and the return of the charismatics to the pagan Roman North African church, what he is interested in doing is getting rid of differences. This will be perfectly acceptable to the apostate body of Christ in the last days, as most of them, uh, the leaders, will be college-educated. And in colleges, you're taught to get rid of differences. I'll be very brief, or as brief as possible, what I'm about to say. A college-education today consists of the theory, or the teaching, that the greatest danger on earth is war. That's the first religious dogma of every state and university in America. That religion is taught. In every college in America, the greatest danger, the most terrible, appalling thing is war. Uh, a slight psychological variation of this is the greatest sin in the world is to refuse to progress or grow. Now, these are the two religious dogmas taught by the college professors in every state and university in America. What is their solution for solving these dangers? I mean, after all, if a man going to be an educated man, he surely can't just discuss what the trouble is. I mean, surely somewhere down the line he must uh, have a cure for it, or at least profess to think about a cure. The cure uh, propagated and promoted and postulated by these uh, Darwinian monkeys is that the, you'll never get rid of if you get rid of differences. Therefore, a college curriculum consists in teaching the young sucker that if you can make the men like women, and make the women like men, and make the Catholics like Protestants for daily vacation Bible schools and Sunday school literature, and make the Protestants like Catholics carrying crosses and going to Mass, and make the Occidentals Oriental by shaving their head and teaching them to say ohm when sit cross-legged, and make the Orientals like Occidentals teach them how to drive motorcycles and play baseball. That if you can just get all the old people to dress and act like children, and put the five-year-olds around the television set and get them get him discussing international politics like adults. If you can just get all the democratic, capitalistic people to adopt socialism before the government move toward communism, and the communists to trade in wheat with you and get a little capitalistic. If you can just reduce to a common, passive, mongrel conglomerate the human race. You'll have peace on earth. That's what educated people learn in college. In Christian education, you're taught this. If you can just take the King James Bible of Protestant Reformation and translate it according to the Vatican manuscript in the Vatican in Rome, and turn it into the Jesuit Rings Bible of 1582, and then take your Roman Catholic Bible of the American and Jerusalem Bibles. And take those things and retranslate them in common plain English like a new ASV that you get rid of the differences. The Bible has a word for this. It's called leaven. In the Old Testament, it's called spiritual adultery. And it consists of the jamming together of two elements that don't mix. Out in the world, it's called integration. And it is considered the most desirable thing in the face of this earth. Men by nature, are spiritual fornicators. And the highest aim any unsaved man has as listening to this broadcast is peace and prosperity. period. That's the only aim you have in life is to get along with your fellow man and get along good while you're doing it. And that's where your religion begins, and that's where it ends. That's the standard college curriculum. All right, people trying to bring to a common denominator and level and bring things down to a mongrel, passive, conglomerate, gray mass cannot dare take the full amount of truth given by the Bible. Because the further you go in the Bible, the more it gets clear that things that are different are not equal. That's the maximum of logic. And you can't be rational and endure sound doctrine and adopt the modern approach of modern education in America. You have to be irrational to do it. So, we talk about doctrinal matters on the theological seminar of the year. We're dealing with dynamite, nitroglycerin, because the body of Christ can no longer stand sound doctrine. I, whether you realize it or not, we have in this country a bunch of people who are all premillennial, independent, dedicated fundamentalists who believe in the plenary verbal inspiration originals who've been selling a Bible now for ten years that professes to be the authorized King James Version, the frontispiece, and the text is the text of the American Standard Version inside in 500 places. And they did it without batting an eye. I don't know whether you realize it or not but the largest fundamental school in America that professed to be a bastion of orthodoxy advertised on its literature that it stands without apology for the absolute authority of the Bible. And I have in my office the literature from the president of that institution, the head of his Bible departments, saying that their idea of what the Bible is is the Westcott and Hort Greek text from Alexandria, Egypt. You're near in the end, friend. Now, we believe that God is the creator of all things. Today we'll make a detailed study of this much accepted but little understood question. Some Bible teachers steer clear of this subject because of the bitter struggle between the theories of evolution and the so-called science. First Timothy 6.20 Which is why the modern fundamentalist has ordered First Timothy 6.20 to read knowledge instead of science. Because the modern fundamentalist advisor or translator is an apostate. And he's afraid of science and scientific discovery, so he has ordered the King James text of First Timothy 6.20. This is the modern apostate fundamentalist who cannot endure sound doctrine. Now we gladly take our place with John, who said about God, God art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The first thing we believe is the author of Genesis and the creation story, is the author of history and our Savior. In Genesis 1.1, the Bible said in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. We accept the first verse and all succeeding verses of the Bible as the infallibly inspired word of God. And when we say that, of course, in this broadcast, we are referring to the Bible we have in our hand. Now, if the leading fundamentalists in America said that, we would be the Bible is the infallible and inspired word of God, they would quite naturally be lying, which could be proved as soon as they came down from the pulpit. Because when they came down the pulpit, and you asked them if the Bible they had in their hand was the infallible and inspired word of God, they would give you a very definite no, and refer to you to the unobtainable, unavailable originals. Now, there may be many things we do not understand, but that doesn't influence our decision or undermine our belief in God as Creator or the infallibility of the authorized version. We believe that Moses wrote the book. He, in fact, wrote the first five books. In Matthew 194 6 Jesus refers to the beginning of time and the creation of Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ was not an evolutionist. He was what they call a creationist. He certainly did not believe in uniformitarian geology. He believed in catastrophic geology, as anybody does who is completely rational. In Matthew 24, verse 37 to 39, Jesus made a reference to the details of the flood. God, give the, God gave the scientific account of his creation to Adam as a revelation of past history. And if you will check your chronology, you'll find there are only three men between Adam and Abraham. So don't you worry about the chain of command. There's only five between Adam and Moses. Moses gets his account of creation if he even, even received it just from a man, would get it from only five generations, which is a great deal better than you got an account, say, of the American Revolution from any of your ancestors. As God is capable of foretelling the future, he actually foretold or actually revealed the past. Now, we admire the beauty, brevity, and logic, and the simpleness of the creation account given in the Bible because it is the only scientific, accurately textbook on the subject. The resurrected Christ, in demonstrating the disciples in Emmaus Road, began to teach him from the beginning, and so Luke twenty four twenty seven says he began at Moses, Luke 24, 44. Now what is the purpose of the exact scientific account in Genesis? Some see only difficulties, contradictions, and scientific puzzles here. Well, we see God revealing himself as the powerful creator. We see God as a God of order, logic, reason, and masterful planning. The purpose of Genesis is not to answer all the questions of bible ejecting God-hating, Christ-defying, egotistical reprobates, but it is to give the accurate scientific account that has never been changed upon, never improved upon, and never will be. The purpose of Genesis 1 is not to make us astronomers or geologists. The purpose is to lead us to worship God himself as the creator. Now, first of all, in matters of the date of creation. And, of course, here is where the controversy rages between Bible believers and evolutionists. The scientists, some of them, maintain from the study of geology that the Earth is a few million years old, and others say it is about 6,000 years old, and the contemporary geology bit says that it's 2,500,000,000 years old. The modern apostate fundamentalist who can't stand sound doctrine says perhaps both sides are correct and the misunderstanding has arisen because of the unknown length of time between Genesis 1-2 and Genesis 1-3. No, there was no misunderstanding that arose there at all. The modern scientist or evolutionist who believes in the theory of evolution and uniformitarian geology and makes the earth millions and billions of years old had no trouble misunderstanding anything in Genesis 1. He simply, as any professional liar, lied to justify his own fallen nature. The figure of 6,000 years, according to the modern apostate fundamentalists, is quite inaccurate, and of course 6,000 years, that is, running from Adam to now, approximately 6,000 years, is accurate if you believe the Bible record. However, Genesis 1-1 refers to a date much earlier, maybe millions of years. Nobody knows the exact time of the original creation of the world in Genesis 1-1. We're assured in verse 2, that's not the original creation, because 2nd, Peter chapter 3 tells us something happened to the original creation. God uh, Genesis 1-2 says something terrible happened, a great calamity of some kind, and the earth was without form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep. And this is undoubtedly connected with the events in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. But even more, the event is described in 2 Peter chapter 3. And the modern body of apostate fundamentalists who write apologetic, apologetic literature about the flood have all rejected Second Peter 3 as applying to Genesis 1-2, which, of course, it does. So the modern apostate fundamentalist is just as infidelic and just as heretical as the modern evolutionist, at least where rejection of the King James text is concerned. This earth was immersed in water in Genesis 1-2, according to Second Peter chapter 3. And the most advanced apologetics of the Christian research, life foundations, and Business in California rejects that truth because they reject the King James text as an infallible authority. We take it as infallible authority, so we have advanced revelation, advanced information revealed to us that, of course, they can't find. Where a man rejects light, of course he can't see light. You can't see sunlight by turning your back on it, closing your eyes, and putting the blinder over your head. But there is no particular point in going along with any of the compromisers or apostates on these matters. After all, if science professes to be true knowledge, then true knowledge will certainly back up the truth. For example, all this business about talking about the date of the earth and where it came from and this and that, haven't you ever noticed something from the standpoint of the scientists themselves and their own profession that doesn't match anything they're saying and proves them to be confirmed liars? For example, did you know that uh, Neve said the Kant and the place theory of the origin of the universe cannot be defended by many scientists, by any scientist? Mertz in European Thought in the 19th Century, page 285, said the theory belongs to the romance of science. Fleischmann in his work says he denies evolution altogether. Rudolf Otto in Naturalism Religion says Darwinism is theoretically worthless. Professor Pettigrew of St Andrews University on and Human Nature, Volume Three, says there is no proof of man's direct or indirect descent. Professor von Feidensdorf of Theologisch Rundschau, 1905, page 85, said there is no materialist explanation for creation. The Darwinian theory of descent doesn't make one single fact doesn't have one single fact to confirm it. According to Dr N S Shaler, Harvard University, Dr Ethridge, the fossilologist at the British Museum. Professor Ellis Beale of King College, London, Professor Fleischmann from Erlangen, and therefore all this stuff about all the scientists say and all them, all these scientists agree is a lie. They don't. There are some other rather startling facts which the scientists themselves have produced, which they never intended to produce, and which they wish to God now they never had found. But among these are the stultifying facts, That when they try to judge the date of the earth by various sources, they run into everything in the world that would show that the earth hasn't been here more than uh, 10,000 years at the oldest. Uh, For example, the present rate of sedimentary erosion would have reduced all continents to sea level in 6 million years, so the earth hasn't been here for 6 million years. The present rate of volcanic emission would have produced all the water of the oceans in 340 million years and the entire crust of the earth in 45 million years so you can throw out the two billion year date the comets in the solar system are disintegrating so rapidly none of them could have been older than 40 million years but the earth's magnetic field is decaying so rapidly it couldn't have originated even 20,000 years ago so a lot of this stuff just goes up in dust when you begin to talk about it you think about 27.5 billion tons every year is supposed to be sediment 30.4 30.4 million cubic miles of continental crust above sea level having a mass of 383 uh, quadrillion tons and you reduce that thing right down you find out the earth, the whole continent would have been eroded and washed away in 14 million years 70 times every billion years all the continents would have been washed into nothing if this earth had been here 14 million years the rate of erosion or sedimentary deposit proves it has not been here for 14 million years. And this kind of stuff goes on and on. When you begin to study what we call the half-lives of things, and this radioactive uh, disintegration, all this and that, and carbon-14 and so forth and so on, you suddenly discover there's no way in the world this Earth could have possibly been here more than 10,000 years by anybody's set of standards. The Earth, the sun has to be too big and... Two trillion, five hundred billion years old to accommodate any evolutionist theory, but the sun is losing 864 trillion tons of a year, and this would add 25 with uh, 18 zeros after it, tons of mass to the sun that now is. Why, bless your star, I saw that thing there, a 1,297,000 Earths could fit into it. The thing won't check out. It won't check out any time you try to make it check out. It'll not check out. Any time you start getting these wild dates beyond a million years, nothing checks out. Uh, Lyle, for example, the famous father of uh, of, uh, uniformitarian geology, checked the three-foot erosion a year on Niagara Falls and found the ice age would be 12,000 years back. Then he made it a foot and got 35,000 years, trying to put it back further and further. But it wasn't a foot. It was five feet, this made a ninety percent six percent error in the findings of the father of modern geology. I wouldn't say if you followed him, you showed a particular intellectual acumen or very good sense. When a man makes an error of 96% and a bad guess, he's not a very man good to follow when you begin to talk about uh, uh, scientific fact, you know, that kind of business. In talking about the creation, the source of these things, Perhaps the most uh, profound thing that's ever been written about it was written by about, a, about it by a comic who never believed Darwin for five minutes. This comic uh, poet, whoever he was, and may God bless his memory, penned the following classical and immortal words in regards to the scientific theory of creation that is debunked by the only accurate textbook in print, which, of course, is the King James 1611 authorized version. He wrote, Upon a Rock yet uncreate, an uncreated being sate, amid a chaos, inchoate. Beneath him rock, above him cloud, the cloud was rock, and the rock was cloud. The rock then growing soft and warm, the cloud began to take a form, a form chaotic, vast, and vague, which issued in the cosmic egg. Then the being uncreate upon the egg did incubate, and thus became the incubator, and of the egg did alligate, and thus became the alligator." And the incubate was potentate, but the alligator was potentator. (laughs) Now, there is no science of origin anywhere outside of Genesis 1, verse 1. If you want to get downright scientific about it, all transformation of matter that results in the reduction of energy is a result of degeneration, a breaking down from the complex to the simple. The laws of thermodynamics know nothing about a breaking down of the simple into the complex. That is the peculiar hallucination taught by the United Nations and the Communist Party. Science is supposed to be a correlated body of absolute knowledge, what they call a demonstrable fact observable. Nobody can demonstrate that Genesis 1-1 is wrong or Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, and nobody has ever observed it. Therefore, to talk about the account of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 being non-scientific or unscientific is the most blatant and sheerest ball-faced hypocrisy that any comedian ever tried to pull off we have this gospel of dirt where Naximander talks about pristine mud coming from infinity and Huxley's bath abuse, out of which everything evolved and Dogenes mine stuff and Weissman's silly biophores and Spencer's ridiculous vitalized molecules and Darwin's Genuals possessed with the affinity for each other which acted as if they had intelligence. Which is as much as saying from creative hobble gobbles there came vitalized zimmy that contain enough higgly piggly flap to produce octopopolises. It all comes about the same thing when you boil the thing right down. Alvis Huxley, the famous deluded maniac, said, PhDs in sociology will never be corrupted by power. Their strength is as the strength of ten men because their heart is pure, and their heart is pure because they are scientists. Now, after that, she writes down B-A-L-O-N-E-Y. That's Aldous Huxley, one of the most deceived, deluded, hell-bound sinners that ever bust hell wide open. Now, there are only four possibilities in regard to this universe. You may as well face it. I mean, speaking from the standpoint of somebody who's intellectually honest and is rational and possessed of their sane faculties, there are only four possibilities. Number one, it always has been here, or it came from nothing naturally, or it came from nothing supernaturally, or it's only an imaginary existentialism. Now, you name one possibility I didn't cover. After all, I've had 10 years of college. I'm not exactly a grade school kid, you know. I've sat at that desk for 22 years. Tell me all about it, son. Some of you medical doctors, if you care to instruct me, I know some Greek and Latin you don't know. Do you know that? You won't find it in Gray's Anatomy. You know what I mean, jelly bean? There are only four possibilities. It always has been here. This is denied by the second law of thermodynamics. It came from nothing naturally. This is denied by the first law of thermodynamics. If it's imaginary existentialism, it's the definition of an insane man because drugs can produce the same thing. You're only left with one alternative as a rational man. It came from nothing supernaturally. And that is the exact existential, pragmatic, objective, empirical scientific statement found in the King James 1611 authorized version, and the other three possibilities are ruled out by the scientists themselves according to their own perfection of faith. Do you understand that? You have never a hypothesis as a theory for the origin, or the planetesimal theory, or the tidal theory, or the binary theory, or any other kind of theory, and all you've got is theoretical conjecture. You judge it by the uranium breakdown. That will give you a maximum age of 1,800,000,000 years because that's the oldest sample of igneous rock. The whole theory is built upon conjecture of a constant atmosphere, which has never been, that turns lava to salt water and freezes the salt water a mile deep at the poles. Imagine that. The rate of erosion of Niagara Falls would put uh, the falls in, in uh, Michigan in the year 420,000 B.C., all this stuff and all this nonsense. If the earth was slung from the sun, it came out with six thousand degrees, and it had no chemical compounds. And chemical compounds couldn't be formed until it was below four thousand eight hundred degrees. The oxygen would have had to come from nowhere. There are no silicates and metals because they couldn't be perform, or couldn't be formed without oxygen. So we're told there was HTO in a vaporous state till the temperature got below 374 degrees. There's no H2O in a vaporous state on Venus, Mars, Mercury, or the moon. And then we're to believe that the rain of the whole earth was covered. Let me tell you something, brother. It takes faith to be an evolutionist. I mean, let me tell you something. It takes faith. No geologist or paleontologist has any explanation for the ice cap that covered the Pennsylvania swamps where the coal beds were formed, it came down too slow. Now, we don't have time to discuss all that on today's broadcast, so next week we'll take up our discussion of these matters further. Suffice it to say that the most grinding and condemning evidence produced against these silly evolutionists is the fact that if the Earth or the solar system or the universe were eternal, and had been here from infinity, they would have worn out at least 900 quadrillion years ago according to the second law of thermodynamics the scholars and scientists own laws which they have erected and constructed themselves rule out evolution as a sane conjecture or rational theory by anybody's set of standards the law of entropy within the closed system would have destroyed this universe more than a hundred billion light years ago if it got started back there I'd say a hundred and fifty million years a million times before that it's mutually, mutually exclusive brother the laws of thermodynamics first second and third law rule out any scientist as being sane who believes in evolution as anything but pure pagan speculation from primitive imagination We'll talk about about that more in our next broadcast. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.